What a privilege we have to worship our awesome God, amen? I was thinking in the song as the worship team was singing, as the congregation was singing in Yet Not I But Christ Through Me, what really struck me was one of the lines in the song, oh, the chains are released, I can sing, I am free, yet not I but Christ through me. If you know the freedom and the forgiveness that comes through Jesus Christ, you can sing songs like this this morning with joy and peace in your heart, and that is a blessing and a privilege we should never take for granted. Here in a moment, our missionary Jonathan Stone, uh, who serves with his family in Peru, their three kids, uh, Angela, his wife, are here with us. We're glad to have them. Um, They're a special family, and we're glad and uh, happy to be able to partner with them as they make disciples in Peru. They do have a table outside of the worship center, so directly behind the worship center in the ABF hallway. Uh, They will be out there in between the service and the ABF hour, so if you'd like to go out there and meet with them for just a time, uh, because Jonathan and Angela are going to have to be back in here at 11 so they can share uh, about their ministry in Peru with us. So um, please come back for that. Uh, Right now, Jonathan, if you come and open the word for us. I'll ask my family to come up for just a moment and say hello. It is a privilege to be here with you this morning in First Baptist. It's been a few years, and, uh, but what a joy to be able to meet together. Our church in Peru hasn't met in church since March of 2020, and we're still meeting online. In fact, this afternoon I'm going to be in Harrisburg, but I'm uh, leading our church service for one of our congregations uh, still online. Angela, my wife, Allison, Benjamin, and Samuel. Thanks, guys. You can have a seat again. It is a privilege, as I said, to be here with you. You have had a significant part in the ministry in Peru, not just in our ministry, in my parents' ministry, David and Evelyn Stone, and uh, we appreciate the way you invest in missions around the world. This morning, I'd like to share with you from Psalm 23. Now, in the last few years, we've had some experiences that have made this psalm particularly speak to us. I woke up in a hospital bed on a morphine drip after surgery, and morphine is is great stuff. My mind was racing, and there was nothing to read. They wouldn't give me any reading material. There was no television. And because Psalm 23 was a passage that God had really used to calm my heart, I'd been dwelling on this, I just started developing this message. And when Angela was finally able to come in and see me, uh, I was talking a mile a minute apparently. The surgeon uh, turned and looked at her and uh, apparently they looked at each other like, he's really high. Uh, And I said, write something down, write something down for me. But this is a psalm that has been cherished by God's people for thousands of years. However, for the message of this psalm to speak to you in your moment of need, it has to be true for you, it has to be personal. So I'd like to recite Psalm 23 with you, feel free to recite it with me in King James, because there are a few phrases that have stuck in my head my whole life long in that particular version, but Psalm 23 
In King James, feel free to say it with me if you'd like. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this psalm, a psalm that you have used to speak to the hearts of your people as they've walked through the valley for thousands of years. And you speak to us today. Lord, I ask that you would speak to us through your word and encourage our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. The Lord is my shepherd. There is no better protector and shepherd and provider than the Lord. The Lord is my shepherd. As I said, this psalm, for it to speak to you, has to be true for you. He has to be your shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. We could say this is one of God's names in the Old Testament, Psalm 80. He is the shepherd of Israel. It describes how he cares for his people. The Lord is my shepherd. There is no better shepherd than the Lord. He is the one who takes away our want, I shall not want. A better translation might be, I lack nothing. And this doesn't mean just that we can log on to Amazon on Prime Day and order anything that we take a fancy to. It's speaking more about contentment, learning to understand what our deepest needs are, because God has promised to satisfy, completely satisfy, our deepest needs. He will, in fact, completely satisfy those needs. We are so much more than material things. He promises to satisfy our soul. 1 Timothy 6.6 says, Godliness with contentment is great gain. And Luke 12.15 says, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. In Mark 8, Jesus said, For whosoever would Save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? The ground for all contentment is knowing that the Lord is my shepherd and trusting and accepting what he provides. He makes me lie down in green pastures and he leads me beside still waters. Now, sheep don't lie down when they're hungry. They have to have their needs met first. My grandfather was an actual shepherd, and I brought his 
shepherd's crook with me. He's no longer with us. But for 50 years, he pastored a church that he started and also worked on his farm. He had as many as 500 sheep at one time. You can tell this is an actual shepherd's crook because of the electrical tape. Uh, Apparently, it started to crack in a few spots. But my grandfather taught me a few things about this passage that I haven't heard anywhere else. He said, sheep don't actually like to lie down on the green grass. They prefer to lie down on patches of dirt. And I've seen this in other places, even in a zoo. Uh, There's all this green grass, and the sheep go and lie down on the patch of dirt in the corner. And the problem is that that is not a healthy place for the sheep to lie down. Their feces mix with the dirt, and they can pick up parasites and, and get sick and so on. And so the shepherd has to come along and move the sheep off the dirt where they're comfortable and make them lie down on the green grass, which is the best place for them. And I think one of the reasons that this psalm speaks to us so vividly is that we're too much like sheep, right? Sometimes we don't know what is best for us, but we have a good shepherd who knows what is best for his sheep. And so he provides green grass and also the still waters. Now, sheep don't mind drinking from moving water. In fact, they won't drink from stagnant water. You might have a a note in your Bible there that says that the phrase still waters means waters of rest. And it's really talking about a place of peacefulness, a place of peace and rest. The shepherd meets the needs of the sheep, their physical needs, green grass, fresh water. And then the next verse takes us beyond the picture of the sheep because, of course, this is more than just about sheep but about us and our spiritual need. And it says, He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. And this passage is not simply about Let me see if I can figure out the best place to put this thing now that I've got it up here. It's not simply about sheep, but it's about our well-being and our spiritual well-being. When it says he restores my soul, what is the condition of your soul today? Faith is sometimes presented as a very self-centered offer. We have to remember that the universe doesn't revolve around us. Our Creator and Lord, the mighty King of heaven, did give His life for us, but it wasn't because we deserved it. It wasn't because our well-being was an end in itself. God is interested in restoring our well-being, but in doing so on His terms. The word restores here is a word that's also used for conversion, God's way demands righteousness. He forgives the woman caught in adultery and then says, go and sin no more. He leads us, but he will only ever lead us into paths of righteousness. You can't make up your own morality. If God is your shepherd, you can't just look for a church that will pat you on the back and let you enjoy your favorite sin. 
If you want God to protect and provide for you, He will do that, but He will guide you only into paths of righteousness. If you make your own way, you might as well be your own shepherd. And I want the Lord to be my shepherd, not to be on my own. He does this for His name's sake. We have been purchased at great cost, and we are no longer our own. I often forget, I sometimes choose to live for myself, but I am not my own. It is well with my soul for His name's sake. In fact, perhaps the best perspective is to say that it is only when I rightly align myself with God's order, when I submit to His Lordship, that I understand that I live to honor Him first, only then can I be fully satisfied. Only then will my soul be most well and truly be at peace. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. In Ezekiel 36.22, it says, Therefore say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. God does rescue and restore, but not because we deserve it, rather for the sake of His holy name just as He restored Israel, not because they deserved it, but because of His name. Verse 4 says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Even today, as you go down from Jerusalem into the Judean desert, there are these small, narrow canyons where, unless the sun is directly overhead, there's always a shadow at the bottom of the canyon. Sooner or later, all of us will walk through the valley of the shadow of death in this life. Sometimes we'll walk through that valley with a loved one, and sometimes we'll both come out of the valley, other times we'll come out alone. In this life, death is a natural part of life. A few years ago, uh, we spent a few days in that valley with my son, Benjamin. That was two weeks before I went into the hospital for back surgery. And one of the things that was most comforting going through that experience with him, even when we saw him hooked up to tubes and speaking in a, in a weak voice, and we had to turn away so that he wouldn't see tears in our eyes as he spent several days in the ICU, one of the most comforting things was hearing him praying to his shepherd. Because one of the first things I learned uh, when we brought our first baby home from the hospital and have continued to learn ever since, as all of you parents have, is that there are many places where I can't go with my children. The only one who can someday take their hand and walk with death through them into heaven is their shepherd, Jesus Christ. And the greatest blessing for us as parents is knowing that each one of our children know the shepherd as their personal Savior. And that made all of the difference in the world going through that experience with our son. One of the hardest moments was when he came back out of surgery and he was awake. We were able to talk to him, and then they wheeled him into the ICU room and they were hooking him up to the different equipment and tubes and things. 
and they didn't allow us to go with him. And so we could hear him crying out because this was painful for him. And at one point, we were proud of him because he even told them in Spanish that he needed to go to the bathroom. Um, But that's when we just about lost it, right? If we could just be there with him, if he could see us, it would make everything so much easier for him. And yet, we knew that the Savior was with him. And hearing him pray to his Savior was the greatest encouragement. I will fear no evil. Even in the darkest valley, where death is at least a possibility, we can conquer fear. How is that? For you are with me, it says. Notice how the grammar changes. David has been telling us about the shepherd, how he leads us, provides water for us, and so on. And now in the valley of death, instead of talking in third person, he switches to second person. He's talking directly to his Savior. No longer is he telling us about the shepherd. He's talking to his shepherd, and we get to listen in. Notice again how personal this is. You are with me. The presence of my, of my shepherd means I am safe from all evil. It doesn't mean the valley won't end in death. Sooner or later it will for all of us. But even death has been conquered and evil can no longer touch me in death. The worst that can happen to a child of God is that at the end of the valley we go into heaven. 1 Corinthians 15 says death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O grave, where is your sting? We know someday that even death will be destroyed. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, these may be two different tools that that the shepherd uses. Apparently, they're used for two purposes. One, as a weapon to defend the sheep against the wild animals, and we know that David had to defend his sheep against a lion and a bear and so on. And then they're also a tool to move the sheep along or to rescue the sheep if the sheep fall down. I just saw a a clip on YouTube, I think it was, of a sheep that had fallen into a, a crack there, and they finally pulled the sheep out and went running along and jumped back into the crack again a little farther along. Um, sheep, again, and we're perhaps too much like them, very much need the shepherd. The only time I saw my grandfather get angry with me was when I was a little kid and I found his shepherd's crook. And I knew what the shepherd's crook was for, right? I mean, you put this, this hook around the sheep's neck. And so with my little sister behind me, I was chasing the sheep around the barnyard. And my grandfather came out and found us chasing the sheep around And he was rather upset with us. I don't know if you know this. I didn't know this. But apparently, if you chase sheep, they can have a heart attack and die. They're really rather vulnerable creatures. In fact, a sheep can uh, lose its balance, fall over, trip, or something. And if it ends up on its back, it becomes cast, which means it's stuck, like a beetle with its legs in the air or something. It, It can't get up. In fact, I saw my grandfather demonstrate how he could take a big ram that weighed more than he did and tip it over on its backside, and then he held, it, held the sheep there, and it looked really silly, but it couldn't move. It was incapacitated. 
If a sheep becomes cast and it's a hot day, it can die within a few hours if the shepherd doesn't come along and pick it back up again. Sheep need a shepherd. In fact, you don't hear of sheep knocking down the the fence and running off into the woods and just living in the wild, right? They can't survive. We had cows coming down our street this morning, actually. Cows are always getting out, right? Um, But sheep, when they got out one time, we're simply following each other in a circle in the middle of the road until someone came to get my grandfather. (laughs) They depend on the shepherd, and we depend on the shepherd to protect us both from external enemies that would harm us and from our own mistakes, right? We get ourselves into trouble plenty of times, and we need the shepherd to come along and deliver us, whether that's because we just enjoy lying down in the dirt or we've fallen over and become cast, and we need Him to pick us up. You prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. I love picturing this scene. It's like the story of Job, where Satan really did some serious damage to Job, took away all of his wealth, even his family, his children, lost all of his possessions, and then even lost his health. But you'll remember that Satan, even though he is a powerful enemy and he was able to orchestrate the forces of nature, the wind that blew down the house that Job's children were in, he was able to bring these marauding tribes to carry away Job's livestock. And then he orchestrated all of these things so that the messengers arrived one after the other to get Job at the most vulnerable moment possible. Even then, Satan couldn't do anything that God did not allow. God was still in control. And if you can imagine an old-fashioned enemy armed for battle, itching to attack you and dismember you, and the shepherd sets a table right there in his presence, right before this, this enemy, and invites you to come and enjoy a meal in the presence of the enemy, because no one can touch us unless our shepherd allows it. He is our protector and our shepherd. An Iranian pastor said, how can you experience that verse if your enemies are not there? I had the honor of experiencing that verse in torture chamber. My torturers were there, but my sweet Jesus was there. His presence was with me. Nothing can touch us beyond the permission of our all-powerful protector. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Oil in ancient times speaks of comfort and prosperity. The Egyptians would place a cake of oil on their head and walk around, and it would slowly melt during the day and run down. I guess that was uh, an old 24-hour deodorant or something, right? An overflowing cup means that you have all that you need. God has filled your life with good things. Now, there are always things to gripe about. Sometimes there are a lot of things we could rightly complain about. Um, But we have to remember 
that with God as our shepherd, there are always more reasons to be thankful than reasons to complain. And this is a conversation we often have with our children, right? If you let your circumstances determine your happiness, you're going to go through life pretty miserable most of the time. But if you learn to be thankful in spite of circumstances, you can be joyful even in difficult times. An overflowing cup means that you have all that you need from God. And you're overflowing in blessing so that you can't contain it. You have to share it with others. God doesn't bless us for us to keep the blessing for ourselves. It overflows to touch the lives of others. We just sang 10,000 Reasons, which is a song that has really spoken to us in these last few years. Here are what the words say again. Whatever may pass and whatever lies before me, let me be singing when the evening comes. You're rich in love and you're slow to anger. Your name is great and your heart is kind. For all your goodness, I will keep on singing 10,000 reasons for my heart to find. And on that day, when my strength is failing, the end draws near and my time has come, still my soul will sing your praise unending 10,000 years and then forevermore. Why at the end of life, in the valley of the shadow of death, can I sing? Because my shepherd is with me and I will be with him for 10,000 years and forever. The valley isn't the end It's the door to heaven. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Goodness refers to that which promotes, protects, produces, and enhances life. And mercy is my favorite Hebrew word. It's the word chesed. And chesed means God's faithful love, His covenant loyalty, His mercy that endures. Throughout my life, I can count on God's protection and provision. I can count on His faithful love and mercy because I know His presence will go with me my whole life long. But it doesn't stop there. If this psalm is an encouragement and a blessing to your soul, the last phrase takes the assurance of the shepherd's care to the next level because the time is coming when all tears will be wiped away. There will be no more valleys. For the rest of eternity, we will be in the presence of the Lord. Revelation 7, there's this beautiful scene. It says, Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple. And He who sits on the throne will shelter them with His presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. Think of the green pastures and the waters of rest. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and He will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. What a beautiful picture. The Lamb who gave His life for us, who was led to the slaughter as a sacrifice for our sins, 
This Lamb becomes our Savior. He sits on the throne of God. And our shepherd, this Lamb becomes our shepherd, and the shepherd wipes away every tear for the rest of eternity. And we are in the presence of the shepherd for all time. Let's pray. Father, thank You for this psalm. Thank You for the encouragement it is to every one of us who knows You as our Savior and our Shepherd. Thank You that we can trust You to care for us in every circumstance. Thank You for providing for our needs, for blessing us so abundantly with an inheritance as Your children in heavenly places. Thank You for Your presence that goes with us through all of life. And thank You that we will be in Your presence for the rest of eternity. I pray that everyone here, Lord, would come to know You as their Savior so that these words can speak to them when they walk through the valley. In Jesus' name, amen.